Welcome to a Better Divorce podcast where we have conversations about the emotional, financial, and legal issues that are on your mind or should be on your radar if your goal is to keep your divorce out of court. I'm collaborative divorce attorney and mediator Andrea Vaca, and I know that how you divorce matters to your long-term well-being. That's why it's my mission to help you have a better divorce with as little acrimony as possible so that you can create the best life possible on the other side of your marriage. Hi, this is Andrea Vaca, and I'm so happy to have Tom Rogerson on the podcast today. Tom is a recognized leader and pioneer in family governance and legacy planning. And back in 2017, he and his wife, Kathy, who happens to be a certified relationship coach, formed a company to provide guidance and education to families who want to transition their most significant, tangible and intangible assets from one generation to the next. So Tom has now worked with over 300 families and their advisors by facilitating family meetings that focus on creating a culture of generational legacy. And a fun fact, Tom is a magician and has performed professionally at the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. So Tom, welcome to A Better Divorce Podcast. Well, thank you, Andrea. Nice to be with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what magic we can make today here. (laughs) So, you know, I'm assuming a lot of people listening and watching aren't quite sure what family governance is. They may have an idea, might sound like something. So how do you define what you do exactly and the goal of what you do? What is family governance? What is that? Well, um, governance is a highfalutin term and it kind of confuses people. You think of bylaws and institutions, you know, different forms of governance. But in reality, governance is as simple as just group decision making. And what we're finding is the core of a family being able to stay together long term, multi-generationally, is learning how to make decisions as a group. It might not sound like that could possibly have a bearing, but it turns out that's critical. And it's the number one reason that families that have failed at preserving their family long term that's the number one reason that, that they said caused the failure was lack of knowing how to make decisions together. And when you say it caused failure of the family, you mean failure of the wealth of their of that their was the original the original studies were done to try and figure out if the shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve phenomenon paradigm was true, first of all. And second of all, uh, was it avoidable? And um, they found that it was, yes, it was true, but it was also fun. some families were avoiding it. And so um, failure was not, but originally looked at it, were we losing the wealth? But it turned out what was more important was the family itself, the knowledge of each other, how to work with each other. So our motto at our company, which my wife and I named GenLeg for Generational Legacy, our motto for it is because since we mostly work with business owners, not all, but, but a lot of them, we say a strong business cannot hold a family together, but a strong family can hold the business together. So why is all the focus on the business? Why are we focusing intentionally on the family and on the next generation? And it, it might seem like, well, if there's a, do- a potential divorce happening in a family, does that mess it all up? It doesn't have to. Actually, families can go through divorce and still maintain a very successful next generation of unity, connection, uh, leading on to what we view as legacy. Legacy is not about the money, although money's important, don't get me wrong, but it's not about the money. It's about the family. Do they know each other and are they connected long term? Wow. So how how do you help when families are divorcing? Um, you know, well, when they're staying together, it's also it's important to build that sense of family. But why are you finding that people don't have a 
a strong family or the sense of what a family is like what what is going on with the, cl- the couple with the clients that you're working with and the families you're working with what are the underlying issues that you're seeing right interestingly many of the families that we're working with are relatively high net worth in fact some of them are extremely high net worth and what uh, an underlying cause of all this was literally level of wealth in a family what we're finding in so many studies is lower net worth families uh, tended to have tremendous interdependence by necessity. They had to work together. They had to learn how to make decisions together every day. Remember I said before, governance is group decision-making. Lower net worth families, I'm not talking poverty, but blue collar working class families, they had to make decisions every morning like who gets the bathroom first? Who gets the car on the weekend? Who mows the lawn this weekend? They were learning how to make decisions every day by necessity. If someone in that family succeeds financially, they want to get away from all that hardship. It sounds like a pain in the neck. And they want to raise their children to be independent to the point of, unfortunately, in many cases, estrangement from each other. Higher net worth children didn't know each other as well. Why? They weren't having to make decisions together. They might have had their own bedroom. They might have had their own bathroom. They might have had a lawn care, care crew to work on the lawn, on the, so they didn't have to mow the lawn on the weekend. They might have gone to summer camp, whereas lower net worth kids might have had summer jobs staying at home working with their siblings. So you see, there were just fewer and fewer opportunities for higher net worth children to truly know how to work with each other. And yet those are the very same children that were often inheriting things like a business or some real estate or some things that they would hopefully know how to work together, but they often didn't learn how to work together. Okay. So this is really interesting to me. So, you know, the the families that people growing up with sharing bedrooms and, and all the stress that comes with having to negotiate around your, your, your siblings, it actually builds more strength for how to work together and make decisions together in the future when your families need you to come together, right? And and higher net worth families, just more creature comforts, didn't have to work together. And then they're kind of at a disadvantage later on. So, right. it's a, so you're helping families before they need, you know, to, to recognize this and and help make them and you help them make decisions and look at their values and and create systems or processes for for decision making is that basically absolutely and encouraging decision making but it, it's different though lower net worth families and i keep using the kind of lower net worth over here and higher net worth over there because we have a graphic that goes like level of wealth going up in this direction and level of dependence or independence on this other uh, axis here and uh, with dependent people being up high then independent then interdependence is kind of reverse of what you'd expect but low net worth families have tremendous interdependence down here where they're they learn how to make decisions together as the wealth goes up, they have the privilege of getting away from that, having to work together, and they end up more independent to the point, as I said before, of estrangement from each other. If they're going to get back to a place of interdependence, it's not going to be a necessity like it was for lower net. It has to be voluntary, which means the parents have to really encourage and inspire this. And that's why we're we're working with parents usually to help them think through it. Now, for what you do, um, in helping people understand how to actually have a civil divorce as opposed to an uncivil divorce, um, as, as often as you know happens, they have the opportunity to hopefully discuss the whole idea of what is the legacy of the family going to look like for each of our individual branches, the husband and the wife, maybe separately, but how are we going to work with the children and encourage them to be unified together, even if we do separate? 
how can we at least be together on that concept? And so we work with a lot of divorced uh, families where sometimes we don't have them amicable divorces. <laughs> so we end up having to work with one branch of just what could they do, uh, whether it's a husband or the wife, to think through how they could build a better, more connected set of children. Because unfortunately, as you well know, many times in a divorce, parents often use their, their resources in negative ways for the continuity of the children in the family, they, trying to buy affection. They often increase the lifestyle for their children because they're trying to kind of compete on lifestyle and things like that, which can be really damaging because now we've unhealthily ad advanced the lifestyle. And it turns out having a, a healthier, more modest lifestyle is really positive for children, no matter how much wealth the family actually has. So so interesting. I mean, I do see clients um, after they divorce, it could be some guilt that they've, you know, broken up the family. And this can lead to them trying to make the kids happy by either buying things or giving them certain experiences, like trying to keep up with the with the other with their ex who might have more money, might might have more resources, higher income. So they're almost in competition to try so that they think that the children will be happier if they're also flying first class, if they're also going to that, you know, that fancy resort we always went to, which might not be as affordable now. And and so what re, what what is your research showing that would assuage these parents that it's not necessarily the things that they buy, but the time right. and the conversations that they have with their kids and the 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 feelings that the children have when they're with them. Like what right. what do you, what what supports this whole theory? Right. Well, originally, the theory was very practical for me because my my mother and father also got divorced when um, I was about college age. But um, they came from very different backgrounds. My father came from a very wealthy American family, and I was able to see what wealth was doing to that family. There was tremendous independence to the point of, as I say, estrangement from each other. We knew very little. We had very few conversations. We were very independent, which sounds great. It sounds like the American dream, independence, right? Turns out um, that can, there's a negative that goes along with it. My mother's family, she comes from a poor Cuban family. She was one of eight children growing up in southern Cuba. And the interdependence that she built with her siblings lasted until the day my mother died. I mean, you know, working together uh, in a lower net worth family in Cuba, that plus getting out of a communist country together, they built such independence. It was hard for me to get there in time to help my mother if she had a problem because my uncles and aunts would get there before I get there. And I was seeing a lower net worth family with tremendous warmth and knowledge of each other and really, really deep understanding of each other. And I saw a high net worth family, which all said they loved each other. Everything was great, but the interactions were more social cocktail party type things, as opposed to meaningful, deep, how are you doing? How can I help you in a meaningful way? And so I was seeing it automatically just from how it was brought up. The research supports it though. And it turns out um, a glitzy fun time. And we tend to think that, oh, lots and lots of glitzy fun times is a healthier, better thing. Turns out that's not what uh, the research is showing. And the, the whole movement of positive psychology is showing that, um, as Arthur Brooks is one of the specialists in this field, he says the song, you can't get no satisfaction is not actually correct. You can get satisfaction. What's true though about it is you can't keep no satisfaction. <laughs> you, if you keep going for those fun, fun experiences, you're not building deep long-term satisfaction and, and ultimately happiness, well-being and contentment. 
And what Malcolm Gladwell talks about that I was really affected by, he said, it's not that important that you share values with people you're making important decisions with. And right away, I thought he was wrong. So when I had a chance to meet him, I asked him about it. I said, why did you say that? And he said, well, think about your best friends from college and from high school and think about when you met them and how you became friends with them. Did you become friends with them way back then because you knew you shared values? Is that why you became best friends or was it because you shared meaningful experiences? Wasn't because they were in the same class, the same dorm, the same sorority. Wasn't it because of the experiences that were meaningful, where you were learning about each other deeply, that caused you? And don't you have friends that have different values? You do. And I thought, oh my goodness. I mean, I mean, I got a friend that's a Yankees fan, and I'm from Boston. <laughs> Talk about different values. Uh, but I die for them, and it just made so much more sense. And what we're seeing is the parent that can actually engage in more meaningful experience with the children actually, even if they're doing things with lower net worth, can build up stronger bond with those children. Much like I said before, my mother's family had a stronger bond as a family than my father's family, even though my father's family had a lot more money. Yeah. And so trying to buy affection doesn't actually accomplish as much as these meaningful experiences that we can encourage families to look for and engage with. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm sure many people are Happy to hear this, that if, if they don't have, if they've been feeling that kind of guilt and how do I do this? How can I provide all these things that I think the children need? So what tips do you have for people? How, what can they do to build this sense of, um, of community within their family and bring the children closer to them and to each other? Right. Give them more of a sense of family. What, what can they do? Well, there are a lot of things we're seeing parents in, engage in with their family. Um, and some of the key ones are the simple ones are like many times a parent wanting to uh, really build that bond with their children would organize a vacation and they would encourage the children. We're going to go to Spain this year or we're going to go to Florida together. We're going to. And um, and the parent would have designed pretty much the entire vacation and they invite the children to join them. What if the parent came up with the budget? and gave it to the children and said, I can't wait till you guys plan a vacation and take me on it. Um, now who's planning it? They are. And they're learning. That's governance. They are learning how to make decisions. And then hopefully they'll make some mistakes because then they're learning. You can get through mistakes and, and you, we can celebrate them because it's the lesson you learn along the way. Things like that are really important. Another one that's also really important is family philanthropy. A parent that takes one, their children on a vacation and says, we're going to go down to uh, Florida and we're going to where that hurricane was. And we're going to build we're, I've got a person that I met who's doing Habitat Humanity, building a house. We're going to help out for one or two of the days we're down in Florida. We're also going to fund. We're going to be wrong. We're going to go surfing and everything. But we're going to try and and now the parents evidencing you know, what their values are right in front of the children. These kinds of meaningful experiences actually can be fun. Believe it or not, the kids that say, oh, I don't want to do that. Um, they often, when they're doing it with their parent, with their siblings, uh, it becomes one of those memories that is really hard to forget and the satisfaction that comes with it. The other really powerful thing about engaging in philanthropy with your children is it slows down hedonic adaptation. Hedonic adaptation is that whole idea that as my lifestyle opportunities go up, you know, and I can spend more and have a nicer house, that what happens then to everybody in that environment, it automatically becomes normal very quickly. It's not no, it's no longer like a luxury. Right. It is normal. Right. And anything less than that is abnormal. And uh, being able to engage in philanthropy with your children actually can slow that down because they see that, wow, how we're living is not normal. Nothing wrong with it. It's a blessing. 
Right. And so these things really are powerful to help connect the parent to the child in a much more meaningful way than just taking them to Spain. Oh, I think, yeah, I, I love that idea of helping to plan a vacation. And with the holidays coming up, you know, this might be a, a family's first holiday of, you know, not being together for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it is. This is a great opportunity to start a new tradition with your children, right? We're going to go to the soup kitchen. We're going to serve people as part of our holiday celebration, right? We're going to do that first and then we'll have our own dinner or something like that, where you can start a whole new tradition and, and start bringing this uh, sense of philanthropy and family philanthropy into your, into your newly formed pod of the right. family. You know, we say we help couples divorce without destroying their families and that sense of family. And just because you're ending your marriage doesn't mean the sen the children's sense of family has to end. And this is just a way to help strengthen it even more than it was. It could be even stronger than it was when you were together. You know, uh, yeah, I, I love this. Let's talk a little bit more about psych positive psychology, though. I love that you brought that up because I study it as well. I have a certificate oh. in positive psychology. I'm I'm studying to become a positive psychology coach. And I love, love that you, you know, are, are into this as well. So. So, you know, from from the positive psychology, what what else should parents know that you you would say to install those strong family values? What what else have you learned from that? Right. Uh, well, so much of positive psychology, uh, really, I mean, it, and even before the coin, the, the phrase was coined by Marty Seligman, uh, Seligman uh, in Hawaii, actually on the beach, he coined the phrase positive psychology. But it literally this whole idea of having purpose and meaning in your life and gaining the satisfaction, the happiness that we want doesn't come from pursuing happiness. It comes from pursuing a purpose in my life and engaging in that purpose. And so this whole idea of um, engaging the children in family philanthropy together and giving them a sense of purpose. You know, many families that we work with, as I said earlier, have family businesses. And what the parents often end up doing is they give the, the impression that a few of you children are really important to us, but most of you are not important at all. Now, no parent would try to intentionally say that. The way they give that impression, though, is they talk about the roles that these few people have in the family business or helping with the money or managing the real estate or you name it. The people that have roles that typically relate to managing some assets and they give the impression these other people don't have a purposeful role in the family. Well, wait a minute. Who's organizing Thanksgiving? I mean, who's organizing the, the, the Hanukkah meeting, you know, the party that we're going to have or who's organizing the vacation? These are opportunities to give everybody a role in the family, whether they're managing the business or the real estate or the assets. Um, but they feel like I have something that I'm doing that's engaging. So we're seeing parents really think through how do we give children a responsibility in the family that we can that we can that, that they want to be part of it's not this is not a tell you you tell them when they're young when you're the cop right, right. but this is more coaching and maybe being a consultant and helping them over time really engage in what it means to be us who the heck are we and who are these strangers we call family hmm. so how can you be more um, intentional about thinking of yourself as a family all the different roles that people play um, appreciating each other, um, giving thanks, being grateful, you know, for, for who you are, start to bring out, you know, some, you know, ideas about that, you know, not, not just compared to other people, but, you know, just being thankful for, for, for the relationships that you have with each other. Um, 
What about what, you know, different ages you mentioned, you know, like some of these conversations are probably different for older children versus younger children. So how do you, is there anything you would say to parents that, you know, depending on the age of their children, how they talk to them about the sense of a family? Definitely. Yes. With younger children, um, it's not so much you can bring them into at, at 10 years old into a group decision-making process where they're going to really be engaged in a positive way and understand how to do a vacation or plan a va- or you name it. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't engage them to, to a large degree. We're finding that from three to 13, you can start the process of educating your children. And it's more, we work with the parents than to teach them how they could be doing that. You can take a 10 year old to the zoo or a five year old to the zoo. And you can say in the way in, I know we paid 10 bucks to get in here, but that's not enough to pay for all the animals. You know, this organization, looks for people to help out to kind of help out pay for some of the animals and if you'd like when we're going around we can uh, we can think of one of the animals and adopt it send them a little money to help them with that animal and then we can come back and visit and they're starting to learn believe it or not even at five years old that the zoo is different than mcdonald's you wouldn't believe how many children think that those two things are operated the same way because I paid for McDonald's and I paid for the zoo. Aren't they the same? Actually not. I know you paid for the zoo, but it's called a charitable organization. And they can start to learn things like that. When kids get to 15 or so or 16 years old, you can engage them in group decision making. They can plan a vacation with you. They can learn by their mistakes. They, they do have a sense of values and you can really test them for things like that. Um, but I do think that one thing you said earlier, the gratitude notion, that is an incredibly powerful thing to just help your children become grateful for what they have. There's a wonderful acronym that comes out of the positive psychology movement, and it's GRACE, G-R-A-C-E. And it stands for gratitude, reciprocity, altruism, choice, and enjoyment. And it sort of goes in that order that if you start with gratitude, and then you engage in, you know, working with others and reciprocity and then and altruism giving. And it's a, an intentional choice. It all leads to you having a better well-being, a better sense of self. It's, you know, that people call it the happiness movement. It's really not about happiness as the goal. It's having a role in life and a purpose in this family, literally feeling like I have a role in this family that gives me a sense of purpose and place that actually allows me to have a better sense of contentment. I think there there would be so many less uh, fights over uh, custody and parenting time um, because it, or, and the quantity of time. If people were more focused on the quantity, uh, the uh, less fighting over the quantity of time, what's 50-50 or what's our schedule versus focusing on the quality of the time that you're spending with your children and that they're having the experiences that they're having in your home. And right. I, this idea of of the zoo. It's wonderful. And also, you know, I've had a lot of clients who, when after the divorce, they'll, they'll gather their teenage uh, college age kids and take them on that awesome vacation. And these, that age children are perfect to say, you know, you start planning this. This is a budget. You know how to do this. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. There's so many opportunities there. So a lot of parents, you know, after they are divorcing or they've separated now, they're finally, um, you know, spending time on their own with the with the kids. You know, maybe they 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 were you know, not in a very happy marriage. The, the children were probably in their rooms a lot because there was fighting in the house, and now the, the kids are with them. You know, half the week or whatever it may be. So, what 
but it's also very stressful because they haven't had these children all, all to themselves and have to deal with them 24 seven for those days that they're with them. So is there anything um, they could be thinking about from, you know, how to manage the stress that they might be feeling, but also be instilling these values and thinking about how to create this legacy. So how do you, I, I, I don't know if I'm being clear, but how do you balance, like, this is really stressful and hard and I want to provide this legacy for my children. Like, how, you know, any, any tips there, I guess, on how to right. do it. Right, well, I, I just, this is leading me to think to some degree about this notion of how do you build resilient children? And there were a lot of studies on, on resilience and, it, and it, I think it relates to what you're talking about in the conversation you have with your children, how do you build resilient children? And during COVID, there were a number of additional studies on which children seem to evidence more grit and intestinal fortitude, the ability to get through tough times. And um, they so they did a number of studies and there was the number one determining factor that helped indicate whether a child was had more grit and, and self and, you know, uh, f fulfillment and confidence and all that was a strange one to me. The number one determining factor was, did they know their family history going back at least three generations? And I thought, what does that have to do with the price of eggs? <laughs> what they said was, if you know your family history going back at least three or four generations, you know that you're connected to people that got through things like world wars, not, you know, independent skirmishes and all, but world wars and not and depressions, not recessions, depressions and pandemics, not this one, but some big ones. And, you know, and what they found was if you know the story of your family that went through ups and downs and survived through it, it gives you intestinal fortitude. Mm -hmm. And so telling and retelling your family story, telling your own story, but being willing to talk about the negatives and how you got through them, including things like divorce, is really powerful for children to learn themselves. If mom and dad can do it, so can I. And so we tend as parents to talk about a story about our lives. If we started here and it went like that, and now we're really successful. That's not reality. <laughs> In reality, we had some ups and we had some downs. And Telling stories that talk about what we learned and the struggles and what we're struggling with right now is really helpful for children to actually hear because they get a sense of, you know, mom's dealing with it, dad's dealing with it, but they are getting through these things and they're expecting to get through this next one. That's really helpful. Yeah. And it relates to that whole notion of knowing your family, who you're connected to. Right. Being transparent about where you are and putting it in perspective of where the rest of the, your family, your gener your ancestors came from, how they got here, what they dealt with. And this is just part of our family story. And we're going to get through this together. And, right. and to tell yourself that, too, that you haven't ruined your children's lives <laughs> by ending your marriage. Really good, really good point. <laughs> But I want to go back to one thing we said earlier too. this notion of governance, because it really is the right term, even though it's a highfalutin term and people get confused by it. But people misunderstand it a lot of times. So I was talking to a father the other day about this very thing, and he couldn't wrap his head around it. He's, I would talk about governance, group decision making, encourage your children to learn with each other by making decisions that have a consequence. He said, oh, yeah, we did that. Last time we got together for the summer, we went out to a karaoke thing and we all had it was a blast. And I'm like, where's the governance? Where's the responsibility? Where's the role for an individual? And what are the rules around that? I mean, governance implies all these things that just fun doesn't. Right. So uh, you can have fun 
there are things like build a boat. If you've ever heard of it, you you literally can you know divide the family or, or the kids you know with a few friends each into two different teams, and then you give them some cardboard and some tape and some you know cardboard tubes and things like that, and they have to build a boat. And then at the end of building the boat, they have to have a little bit of a race across the pool or you know down by the beach. There's no cost to that. But they're they're learning how to make decisions together. There's governance involved in that where there isn't in karaoke. Either charitable organization, you can do th something called build a bike at a birthday party where you group, break up the kids into two groups and they build a bike and then they donate the bike to a charitable uh, cause. And, uh, and it's a, a charitable cause by itself, this thing called build a bike. So there are lots of team building activities you can do with your children. And notice these are designed to be fun. So it can be fun. It's just that fun is not the purpose at the get-go. Right. Fun is the outcome while they're doing something productive and beneficial and enjoyable. Yeah, part of the, the grace and acronym, you know, there will be enjoyment at the end. But when you're, you're you can get, give back and be altruistic and, and choose to create this instead of build a bear, you know, where you pay this company and you get this bear that you keep to yourself, right. you build, you get no offense to build a bear, but build a bike, right? <laughs> exactly. And someone else and think about the, 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 um, the, no, that's a great off. example. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I love this. Okay. Well, Tom, thank you so much. So, um, this is really interesting. It's it's so different um, from different topics that we've talked about on the podcast. Um, little heady, you know, but yeah. so real, Sorry. right? You okay. know, it's good. It's it's great because it's it it applies to families directly. Like, what can you do? You have choice. You can create this sense of family and and help your kids feel more connected to each other, which is going to just make every you're, they're happier in your home and 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 moving on into their lives. So the legacy uh, piece here is so important and we don't always think about it because especially in divorce, we're so in the moment, it's so difficult just trying to survive day to day. But let's think about where everyone's going. So um, as you know, I, I ask everyone at the end of the podcast what your one better divorce tip is. So what, what do you what what can you offer? Yeah, my bet, better divorce tip would be um, pick one of the items that I mentioned. I especially, I think the vacation one, kids are really invested in it. Um, and let your children participate in planning the vacation, making the decisions about it. Uh, and or if not that, philanthropy, where they can engage in it and really participate. Uh, but do solicit their input. And um, and I, I, I just encourage you, build that stronger bond with the uh, the, the meaningful experiences that Matt, Malcolm Gladwell talked about. Yeah. But I particularly like the ones that people really like the most is the vacation one and the philanthropy ones. Those are just simple and great starting points. And they you get to give your children a little bit of vision of your heart at the same time. Yeah, right, right. I love this. Um, thank you so much for sharing all this. So how can people find you and reach out to you? And um, what can they, what do you, what, what yeah, how can people find you? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, um, Mark, the company we created is, is Genleg, G-E-N for generational, L-E-G for legacy, Genleg Co. for company, Genleg Co. And they can find me at Tom at Genleg Co. 
Com. And uh, I do have an article that I've recently written. It was actually based on a TED talk I gave. So it's a very unusual article. It's more of a story than an article. But it does walk you through a lot of the things we talked about today. And I'd be happy to send that to anybody that would like a copy. Um, and, um, and, and please give us a call. My wife's a relationship coach. I was doing estate planning before I came to this field. But what I found was it was more about the family than it was about the assets. So as you can tell, I'm much more about the family side now than I am about the assets. But it is nice to be able to pull those two together at the end of the day. Um, but that's what we do. It's a great combination. And um, we, if we can link to that um, uh, PDF, we will be. Or you can just reach out to Tom because I, I have it. And it was a really good article. And it did summarize, did touch on a lot of things that we talked about today and much more. Oh, I should mention one thing, because you're probably wondering what's going on behind me here. Yeah. Um, as an example of family, we're out here visiting my son and uh, his wife, and they're now two children, our, our two grandchildren. We've got four children, but but our second son has got, got two children now. But he has a side business, uh, is one of the largest Lego redistributors uh, in the country. And I'm surrounded right now in his basement facility with over a million Lego pieces. So that's... That eagle and robot and clock, those are all Legos? Those are all Legos, including the pirate ship from, uh, I forget what it was from, but anyway, the Lego movie, that was from, and these are all Lego, but he has, I mean, you just, there's there's a million, there's a million two hundred um right around me right now oh <laughs> now we know where to go if you lose that really important lego piece you reach out to tom I'll put you in this one. <laughs> thank you so much tom thank you andrea great to talk with you bye-bye thanks everyone episode of a better divorce podcast and we'll see you on the next episode I'm sorry, Andrea. Can you do that one more time? That, sure. that sure. I said goodbye too soon to Tom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right. Three seconds of silence. Thanks so much, Tom. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of a Better Divorce podcast. We'll see you on the next next episode. Can I do that again? <laughs> sure. Just three seconds. Sorry. Right. Okay. This has been another episode of a Better Divorce podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. You've been tuning in to another episode of A Better Divorce Podcast with Andrea Vaca. Thank you for subscribing, leaving your positive comments and reviews, and sharing the show with others. You can watch episodes at vacalaw.com, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can listen through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Bye for now. And remember, you can have a better divorce.